0: So it's one thing to come and have kids do a cute thing and you go, oh, that's really precious. It's a whole another beautiful and glorious thing to have our children lead us to worship the living God. And so I'm really thankful for you guys. Quite possibly, one of my favorite pictures that I have in worship is of you guys singing Glorify Thy Name and Miss Carolyn on the front row with her hand lifted in the air, worshiping Jesus Christ. It was beautiful. And I think all of our hearts were there. And so um, I just want to say thank you to God and Christ for these kids. And sometimes we clap for them, but we're really telling them thank you for leading us to Jesus. And so parents, as you stand and your kids make their way to you, can we all tell them thank you for leading us to Christ? You can go find your moms and dads now. How about that? Oh, my goodness. Hey, I know you. You're so nice. What's wrong? You just sit right here. This is great. Right yeah, this is great, man. Oh, my heart is just full. I'm so happy and thrilled in Jesus right now. There's a um, particular verse, and we were uh, we were um, seeing, or we are seeing, and kind of experiencing this coming together of Jesus and just His beautiful ways as our kids have led us in worship, and, it, and it's Mom's Day, and we're kind of bridging a little bit between Mother's Day and Father's Day, some things that are deep in our hearts, and it's just, um, this is not a Mother's Day series or a Father's Day series or a family series. And in fact, I think Jesus did something really extraordinary when he said in a lot of different ways throughout his teachings, um, here's what I want you to know. Um, first of all, there's just this thought out of Psalm 145 verse 4 that is going to capture our hearts where it just says, one generation in the body of believers is going to declare the greatness of God to the next. And I don't know where you've landed on that, but a lot of times for me personally, it's been um, just this one thread of thought. Well, that's an older generation telling the younger generation. And I was teaching a few weeks ago and the Holy Spirit just seared my heart with this truth and this reality that um, it is incumbent upon me in walking with God to hear from generations below me about their passion for Jesus. And so I'm just telling you that I love today when our children are singing about the love of God in Christ, about our reveling and glorying in Him, And they're encouraging me in my spirit. And I'm not walking out thinking, wow, I have something great that I'm going to lend to them. I'm walking out thinking today, they just gave me some greatness. And it was the greatness of God and the glory of God. And here's what Jesus taught us about family. And I I I know that Mother's Day has a myriad of emotions on this day. And in fact, I've already encountered many of you that have a lot of different experiences as you walk in the room this morning. And Jesus said something very powerful for us as we consider our role as a church and what God is doing among us and what it truly means to declare the greatness of God from one generation to the next because God said something powerful. He said, I want you to understand that my family is broader than a bloodline. And in fact, my family encompasses a bloodline and it is the line of Jesus Christ. It is the glory of who He is And I think a lot of times, in particularly moments like today, there are a lot of different emotions because of some bloodline issues that we deal with. And the Lord is coming and saying, speak life to one another. There's no greater family than you will experience, than the family sitting in this room. And Jesus even said some crazy things to us, like, unless you walk away and embrace who you are in Jesus, and unless you declare His greatness to one another, you're going to miss the kingdom. It's not to say forsake the bloodline, it's to say understand the broader bloodline of the glory and the majesty of Christ. And so welcome to worship and welcome to Mother's Day, but welcome, more importantly, to a group of believers who declare the greatness of God from one generation to the next and to the next. And if that can be a fulcrum for us and a capacity for us, I, I jotted a few notes to myself as I consider just this day and the phase of being able to walk. And God, this glorious, distinctive of who you are in one generation speaking in this moment to the next generation about the goodness of God. I don't, I don't think I can do justice to how honored I feel to be a part of a church like this. And, and I don't have enough time today because most of us have lunch plans. And you're hoping that I end on time. And I, I never know what that means. Hey, pastor, did you end on time? What time is church supposed to end? Most of you aren't even laughing. Like, no, don't even feed that monster. And so, um, but uh, I, I mean, I just, uh, so I will end on lunchtime so we can go out today. But I, I, I just, I love this. I wrote this out a few weeks ago and, and it applies to my heart right now. There's no greater joy and not every church experiences this joy There's no greater joy than being in a multi-generational church. It's an amening moment, so I want to say it again, because, you know, some people were asleep and some were away. But there's no greater joy. And I think a lot of churches miss this when there's just this target and we have one generation and we all sit together and we all get our flavor. And there's this joy. And also there's pains and hassles and sorrows and challenges But there is no greater joy than being a part of a four or five generation body of believers. Because there's things, I mean, there's things that will happen here that won't happen other places. I mean, we're going to have super seniors who have been walking with God for many, many years who speak wisdom that many of us cannot possibly fathom. That will teach us how to walk with God for decades and that will teach us what it means to live for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. And then there are children that will do exactly what we just experienced this morning, that will teach us with childlike faith to believe again of the goodness and the greatness of God. There will be one generation passing the torch back and forth to the next generation, and it will go up and down the lines. I was i was no kidding saying this, you know, when I asked a series of four questions about are you prepared and are you convicted about the kingdom? And I really began to share is, who are you speaking to that are up generations, and it really just struck me that equally who are you speaking to that are down generations, that are younger than you, that you are learning about in the faith because... In a four or five generation church, it means that we're going to learn from one another. We're going to grow with one another. And here's some really beautiful things. We're going to sacrifice for one another. We're going to lay down our privileges and our prejudices for one another. And we're going to walk with one another. And we're going to see the kingdom of Christ. And really, sitting in this room, one generation truly can declare the goodness to the next. But we also walk out into our lives with every generation spilling out of this fellowship, speaking ...to every generation about the goodness and glory of God. It's a good thing. It's, a, it's an issue that is ripe with, with challenges, but it's a, it's a good thing. I wrote down four examples, and again, if I show, shared all of the examples... ...of what it's like to be in a multi-generational church... ...and why I think it's such a thrill, then we would be here for hours. But I, I, I walked into a class, and, and in fact, Dad and I talked about this for a while... Uh, We walked into a class, in our first class in John Ortberg, and we heard a precious lady who, um, how do you, Miss Margaret, how do you say that the lady has a little more years on her life? Kindly. But Miss Margaret encouraged us. She is um, a part of the older generation, speaking to the younger generation. And something she said just challenged me. And Dad and I walked out and said, that was sacred. And she doesn't even realize it because we're talking about opportunity and making the most of the kingdom. And one comment she made in passing was this. I just renewed my passport. Miss Margaret, raise your hand so they can see who you are, because I love this testimony. And so, Miss Margaret, I just renewed my passport. And we all said, why did you renew your passport? You know, a lot of folks who are um, easing up in life. Extraordinarily young, Miss Margaret. But these, I mean, they're kind of bypassing that. She said, here's all I'm saying to God is I want whatever you want from me, I'm in. And then we just went on with the rest of our class, except I'm still thinking about this um, seven weeks later, standing in front of you. And I'm so thankful that there are dozens like her who spur me on to love and good deeds on a weekly and regular basis. And it's such a privilege to be a part of this in every phase of our lives, saying, God, teach us about who you are. I, um, I my, my computer cut off. I've been renewing your passport. I, I had a, um, a lady younger than me by a decade. So she's still probably 15 years younger than me, and she's in her 30s. And it just blew me away. She's from another nation. She's come to know Christ through this fellowship. She was impeding in, in worship because of her job. And so um, three weeks ago, or maybe a month ago now, she and I haven't seen her today. She may or may not be in this room, and I'm not going to call her name. But a month ago now, she came into our church, and I learned through her small groups leader that she had to lay down her life. Sorry, she had to lay down her work so that she could gather with the body of Christ. And I just thought, God, that is a whole new reality because a lot of us will come as long as it's convenient for us. And I just met a lady who's 35 who says, I will not forsake the gathering of the saints together. And for me personally, it meant that I had to completely adjust my career trajectory to be a part of the body of believers. And I don't, I don't know where you are. Some of you are guests in this room. That isn't you. And this isn't a guilt thing. And we don't get together because we feel guilty about this. We get together because we know it stirs us as every generation for the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And I just was walking out going, if I, if I hadn't gathered with her, I would have missed such an extraordinary encouragement in the grace of God. And more importantly, in, in my willingness to say, God, what do I need to lay down so I can advance you? What's going on in my life? I don't know that everyone gets that privilege. I'm really maybe less worried about everyone else and so deeply thankful. I get to meet week in and week out with a young couple who have just chosen to raise their small children in context of a greater home. And actually, several young couples like this. And they are surrounded by more children than their own. They are they're foster parents and they speak life into my life week in and week out. And I thank God for them. And I thank God that I get to share life that, with that generation. And I thank God for last Sunday, the miracle story that I heard out of their home and that you'll experience in just a few weeks in the waters of baptism. I'm so deeply grateful that we are a part of a multi-generational passion for the things of God. I just, I love having a conversation with the middle schooler. And the middle schooler sharing with me of their deep passion passion. ...for the things of a third world nation... ...and they're also having a dialogue with me... ...about where God might want to place them because their heart runs to the third world, but also their understanding and beginning to understand as a 12-year-old the gospel story and unreached people groups and starting to wrestle out that conversation of, where does God want me? Because while I know they need water over there, they also have advance of the gospel. And I know that over here they need water and they need the gospel. So how do, how is God going to reconcile this in my heart? And I'm having this conversation with Pawnee, some of your kids, with a 12-year-old. And I am so grateful to not read a verse of scripture to you and say, welcome to the body. I'm so grateful that one generation declares the splendor of God to the next. And I love church. And I love being a part of this, and for the next three to four weeks, I just want to talk about this and what it means. And if I could take 15 or 20 minutes right now, I want to speak to you as the body of believers about the very core issue that we want to declare to one generation and the next. It's the issue, and these are the next few weeks, the things that our family team will continuously and unceasingly work on our family team or our preschool through our high school ministries, and they impact all of us as adults because they're asking us as moms and dads, and they're asking us as grandparents, and they're asking some of us as great-grandparents to continuously tell the story of the gospel of the grace of God. I hope that this morning there will be nothing that you hear that's new to you. I also hope this morning as a body of believers that we will sink our lives into the very heart of the matter of what we are proclaiming from one generation to the next. Because I fear that we proclaim some wrong things at times because we are misguided, misled, or just unwise. And So I I would love to just take a few minutes and unpack with you this this concept of God, teach us about this. I, I learned from this. Um, my mom is in the room right now. Her dad was visceral for me. He was life-changing for me. And I just, um, there's a picture coming up on the screen. I brought this with me. I think you may have seen this before. I have all kind of relics from him. And so I have this with me. It's in my hand. It's also on the screen. Um, I was seven or eight years old when Papa passed away. The greatest privilege that I will have one day, God willing, is to be called Papa. It's just, that's just, I, that's the hope of my life is I will speak into the next generation in the way that he spoke into mine. And I, I tend to personalize when I read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I tend to personalize that into a much more, um, meaningful way. When I say, therefore, we are surrounded by such a powerful cloud of witnesses. And because that's true, we lay aside the things that so easily encumber us and we fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus. For he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has set, set before him the joy of the cross. And that's, that's very personal for me. My, my papa, and I want to begin and end with this story and in between tell you something I think is pivotal. My papa just really taught me what it looked like to love Jesus with your heart and soul. To really, just um, be a part of the kingdom advance, and and I, I don't truly think that my um, papa ever went very far out of Drayton Mill, South Carolina. I can almost guarantee you that papa never left uh, the borders of the United States, as far as I know. May have never left South Carolina, as far as I know. If he did, it was very rare. And yet, I can tell you that the ministry that he left and what he left behind for us was extraordinary. His influence remains vast in my life, so much so that I can't wait to be called this. And more importantly so, I want to be called this because I want to bestow upon the next generation and the next generation and the next generation the glory and goodness of God as it was given to me. I want to be able to speak into this and to be able to say, God, when I picture this cloud of witnesses I want to move with that heart and the first face face that I see in the cloud of witness is this my papa looking at me or looking at Jesus looking at me looking at Jesus and going hey buddy Bo you run this race that was my little name and I'll take it we're going to have some joys when you get here for eternity but I want you to run this race that is set before you and I want you to run it well and here's, here's what he did for us He leveraged opportunities and had extraordinary influence on our future. Papa didn't spend a lot of time telling me about what his generation was about. He spent some. He spent a lot of time leveraging the glory of Jesus. And if we could do this, if we could begin to see this manner from the children leading us in worship, which was very fitting for this sermon today, to the oldest of the generations in this room declaring the glory of God, there will be a powerful movement among this fellowship when He becomes the central story. And when we share our our glory in Jesus Christ, I just want to define phase for you because I entitled this at every phase. It's a time frame in the life of a family of faith where we leverage distinctive opportunities to influence the future. I want you to see this. God has put us together right now at Mandarin. And I believe he has put you on this planet and in this church, if you're a long-termer here or going to be here for more than three weeks, to leverage opportunities to distinctively declare the glory of God up and down generations. Is that not exciting? And when he says to do this, I believe he is praying for us. And in fact, as Paul, I want to read a prayer to you and then bring some definition of this and then pray and have our kids sing. But Paul says, I really want this to happen among the church. And I tend to move when I pray for other people rather than coming up with my great plan. I tend to agree with the prayers of guys like Paul and Jesus. When Paul says to the church, because I want you together in this phase of life and to make declaration of the glory of God. And here's a powerful sentence. For this reason, I will kneel before the Father. I want to begin and end with that sub-sentence. For this reason, the declaration of the glory of God among generations, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. There's a great sentence, circle that. I pray that he could grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ could dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you will be rooted and firmly established in love so that here's, here's the purpose, so that you could comprehend with the saints what is the length and width and height and the depth of the love of God. So that we could get together as a body of believers and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that we might together declare and be filled with the fullness of God's love. So for this reason, I kneel before the Father who is in heaven and I make declaration and prayer. Deepen us in the love of God. You can join me in that, which is with an amen or nod of your head. Teach us and ripen us in the inexhaustible grace of God in Christ. God, teach us and walk with us in the incomprehensible love of God. One generation is the substance that I have, declaring, more importantly, one generation living God's splendor to the next. As a generation, we have the chance to show and display the I am to one another. It's a glorious proposition. As a faith family, let's teach them. I want to venture backwards and just see why this is critically important. And again, pray with you and pray for us. And you venture back into the inception of the people of God. You venture back about 1,500 years from this prayer of Paul and really this prayer of Jesus. And you move back in the heart and life of Moses. As he said, if you're going to leverage influence, you should leverage here. If you're going to look for distinctive opportunities, you should seek them here. If we as a church are going to declare some things one generation to the next, here's what you should declare. Moses began to speak in challenging the Hebrew nation's And he said, I want you to pursue through the grace of God with the people of God and for the glory of God this extraordinary love of God. I want you to declare this with one another. They're moving as Moses is speaking, and it's going to be found in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses is speaking to a group of people who are preparing to move and make declaration of their move into God's intended next. He is saying, I want you to know what's pivotal. And he says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to hang everything. It's found in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse. And he says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Praise God. We celebrate this among generations. I want you to revel in this among generations. And then Moses says something that will grip their attention... That will speak for the first time in scripture the truth that will be the foundation that Jesus will re- repeat in the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, along with the other gospels that will be amplified as Paul prays Ephesians, the third chapter, which I just read into the very heart and essence of the church. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, he says this. So therefore, love the Lord your God with all of your hearts with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Forty years before Moses spoke this to this group, he had stepped off the mountain and he had touched on a core issue that separates a system of religion from a deep and impassioned relationship with Jesus. And this is where the foundation lies. If we are going to declare the glory of God from one generation to the next, here's what generations have to get. Generations have to get this. We're declaring a love relationship with Jesus. We're declaring to you not a set of rituals or a set of standards. We are declaring the love of God in Christ. And from one generation to the next, to the next, we make declaration of that. It is the core issue that separates a system of religion and we are from from a relationship with Jesus and we are to declare that. Here's what Scripture says. You are to show His love to a thousand generations who love me and who walk in my commands. I believe that just grafted us into the story. You are supposed to speak up and down the line in generations on this earth. And then as many of us have experienced, and in my beginning story, generations who were part of the cloud would say, please don't fail to speak this and declare this from one generation to the next. And here's what they would say to us. You are going to have a propensity to run as the Israelites did. You're going to ritualize this, you're going to rule this, and you're going to make this a set of standards. And that is not what I am propagating to declare. We do this well in our denomination, and we are no different than the Israelites. Do these seven things well. Wear this certain wardrobe well. Don't do these five things, and Jesus will be fond of you. Let me just declare to you that the love of God in Christ meets you as it met the Samaritan woman, if you were in groups today, beside wells, in grace, for glory, through love. Let's declare that. Otherwise, we will serve to mystify generations around us with a set and propensity for rules and ritual, and they don't care. They're asking for one generation to share with the next. Moses stood and he had this comprehensive view of their history, their culture, their practices, their faith, their stories. He's been on a mountain with them. He's lived their story. And what he says in one sentence holds implication for the people of God for thousands of generations. What he says in this phrase says, these words, and I have just said this, I want to say it again, and I'm going to write this out on social network today. We cannot mystify those around us by forging our faith in the midst of a system of rules. Listen, listen, this is so applicable to us. And you should hear this, you should write this down, and we should search our hearts today so that we can declare the right things before the generations. Otherwise, we will mystify those around us by forging our faith in the midst of a system of rule and ritual. And many of you live there and it is empty and void. And you're sitting right now saying, I wish the pastor would quit so we could go eat. And I don't want to quit so that you will feast on what the Samaritan woman feasted on, which is what she said, the food I eat is the rescue of Jesus Christ and the love of God in Christ. The water I drink will satisfy my soul. Ritual will not. May we only declare the love of God in Christ from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, and may we live it. May you have a papa who walks around with you and you go check for your, check your little rabbit-catching places, whether it's called traps, and you look for all through the woods together, and all the while he's telling you, Buddy Bo, God loves you. May you have a generation that is super older in years but passionately in love with Jesus who gives you a drill and sits beside you while you drill holes in the wood when you're a five-year-old and nobody else lets you do it. Your mom and dad don't, but he does. And all the while he's telling you about the love of God in Christ. What the love of God in Christ is. May you go to Kmart, because Walmart didn't exist back then. And may you gain your Slurpee together. And may you have to walk through 90 people who know your Papa because he's living the message of the grace of Christ over and over and over. May that be the story written large throughout this church. You can't get out. Because he loves Jesus he shares at the Slurpee table. the declaration of love and faith and in action i think there's a cornerstone put in place that jesus will amplify to build a kingdom and paul will teach and i've just read to you in ephesians three and he will say i am going to pray this for this reason i kneel before the father who is in heaven this is the cornerstone mandarin baptist has to build our church here love the lord your god with your heart and soul If we have any other cornerstone, we will. In fact, we already are falling and failing. The cornerstone is the love of God in Christ. Build our hearts and lives there. As we prepare and pray these prayers of faith, we are just saying, God, here's what we know we risk. Moses knows this. This is coming on the screen. He knows the compelling passion of our hearts is not external. It begins in the inner man. That's why he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is Christ who works in you to will and act for his good pleasure and for his eternal purposes. It's in the inner man. It is critical for the heart, the mission, and the ministry. Love God. Plumb the depths. Pursue the heights. The kids, I did not know this, would be singing this this morning. They sang this over us. They declared this over us. Love God. Plumb the depths. Pursue the heights. Be rooted and established and rested in the love of God in Christ. This is more important than ritual or rule. This is on the screen right now. If it's not, it's coming up. This is maybe the most critical sentence of the entirety of the morning for me outside of Scripture, which is far better. But this sentence, I think, encompasses what we have read in Hebrews 12, what we have spoken in Psalm 145, what we are speaking about in Colossians, the third chapter, or the Ephesians, the third chapter. We're just saying, God, we want to be rooted and established and rested in the love of God in Christ. This is far more than ritual and rule. It's the heart. It is the heart of the matter. It's what will allow us to speak the right things from one generation to the next. It's Gosh, I'm gonna. I don't. I've got to think of more ways than this to meddle. It's why this is why. The older generation will gladly lay down preferences, so that the younger generation hears the message of God's grace in Christ Jesus. This is why you will rarely hear in a Christ-centered, multi-generational church, "Can you do this so it fits me?" This is why the younger generation will sacrifice some things that they prefer so that they can sing the songs of the generation above them. This is why it's beautiful and gospel-centered and grace-oriented when we lay down our lives, not solely for Jesus, although He is the first, but we lay down our lives for one another. We lay down our preferences and our rituals and we just say, if people could just walk in this room, this feels very right right now to me. This feels very spirit infused. If they could just walk into this room and see four or five generations who really have no care whatsoever except the love of God is lifted high. I think that would be very, very attractive to an area that is widely diverse. We are postured within three miles of a wildly diverse, you go walk on the, West side, I don't want to do demographics, you'll get bored with this. Now go on the west side, and we have all older generation toward the river. You go on the east side, we have all younger generation in that way. How beautiful would it be for Mandarin Baptist to touch both generations because we're in love with Jesus, and that's the story told among us. just makes my heart happy. I don't know where you are right now. This feels very right and very good, and what I think would make Jesus extraordinarily happy. It's the heart of the matter. I end with this. Irwin McManus tells a story, and I've always loved it, but I think it has a very different feel for me. Um, I I do kind of like epic movies. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Be thankful to God that you weren't with me when Lord of the Rings was rolling out year after year because I probably illustrated about 50 sub-stories out of that in in sermons. It's just good. I like movies like Gladiator. I, I love the film Braveheart. Don't recommend you watching it, not pushing it from the pulpit. Don't write me about what it's rated. It's it's, it's a historical film (laughs) with extreme accuracy, and it's the story of of William Wallace. And I really relate it to the end. There's a particular, I should have thrown this up on the screen, but there's a particular moment with Robert the Bruce, and I relate to him. I I want to be like William Wallace, but let's face it, I'm not. Look at me. (laughs) I mean, I can't even grow a beard. I am not William Wallace. I'm Robert the Bruce. I want to do these great things, and I blow it all the time. The very end of the film, Robert the Bruce is standing, a very visceral moment, and he's, he's betrayed William Wallace, he's betrayed his country, but he's standing there once again with one more opportunity. I feel like that's my walk with Jesus. God, I just really want to chase you well. And Robert he just, you know, he, he cries out, You've, you fought for Wallace, fight with me. And the spear throws, it lands in the middle, and that's the ending. It's an epic ending to a, a film. But the rest of the story is found in the museums, and it's powerful. Robert the Bruce lived such a powerful life for the sake um, and he fought in many battles and um, led many victories, and he carried on. And, and as he f- um, began to face death in his late 50s, mid to late 50s, he um, had some of the people who followed him say, we, we want to carry the very heart of who you are into battle. And so William Wallace actually had at death his heart extracted. It was put into a necklace, and one of his men um, began to run after him in that same manner. And when they would go into the battle, they would hold up his heart, and they would say, fight for the heart of our King. And th- that was that was a big oorah story for me and I really got a lot of man testosterone out of that story. You know, like, come on, let's fight. Because you know, I, you know, I could, freedom! You know, for those of you who've seen the movie. I, I have those big moments and then I start to think, you know, I started thinking this morning as I brought this with me and if this can come back up on the screen, I just started to think I, I'm not positive that it's that big let's go fight wars, although it is. It's just, it's, it's more, I began to think this, this week as I pondered this fight for the heart of the king, I carry around, I was going to make a necklace out of it and decided that would be weird. But I, I think fighting for the heart of the king takes place in Kmart. It takes place with the two generations up saying, Come on, buddy, bro, let's go talk about Jesus. Let me demonstrate for you what it means to walk with Jesus. Let me demonstrate 30 years later when her mom and his wife passes away what it means 25 years before when she's a senior adult in her church and says, you've heard this story before, we've got to cook cakes because we're not doing well. And you've heard this from me before, so I'll keep it short. If you can bake and talk about Jesus and the church, that's a win. That's a trifecta of glory. That's his wife. 30 years after his death, just saying, we, we've got to do something in Drayton Mills. And she will be thrilled to know of the re, revitalization of Drayton Mills. And perhaps, just perhaps, God's going to catch wind in that church again. And I, I don't know that it's as big a way and Wallace thing as it is this. I, I will one day be a part of the cloud. But I don't want to miss this phase. And so I want to run toward the cloud of witnesses with my eyes fixed on Jesus today. And I want to declare the glory of God because I won't be able to do that. And I don't fully get heaven and neither do you. But I won't be able to do that among the generation in this phase, in this moment, where I am. And so I want to declare the glory of God and I want to declare it through the love of God in Christ. And I know the risk of rituals and I know the risk of of dumbing this down into some set of rules, and he says, no, 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 pause that. It hasn't worked so far. Love Jesus. Love Jesus and generations will speak of him, and they might mention your name. Love Jesus and it will impact many. Love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. And I love this. As our kids begin to make their way forward in about one minute, I love this. They're going to end with the victory chant. And I almost feel like this is a fitting ending to the service where we just chant over one another that there's a love of God in Christ. That we, that we, that we, that we look at one another. And I, I think there's something powerful that I want you to figure out individually and us, for, for us to figure out corporately. There's something powerful. If you're a part of the older generation, there's something powerful about you blessing the younger generation. And I'm not talking about once. I'm talking about hundreds of times over the next few weeks. As you just walk, I'm going to say, I'm seeing your faith story. I want to run it with you. I can't run as fast as you. I know I'm with you. Bless us with the love of God in Christ, older generation. I don't want your story. I don't want your rituals. I want the love that you have for Jesus to be made manifest in this church. Younger generation, children, start looking at the older and walking up to them and just tell them, this is what I'm wrestling with. Twelve-year-olds, have the conversation with some who have sorted it out and begin to have the dialogue of this. I know there's hunger in this nation. I know the gospel and hunger in this nation. Where do I go? And let's talk about this. One generation declaring the pragmatic and the heartfelt love of God to the next. What could that look like in this church? I don't know, but I want to find out. You? I really do. I want generations, I want five generations up to come into the church and speak down the hope and the love of God in Christ. And I want the youngest of children to do what they've done today and sing up the love of God in Christ. And I want the defining element of this church to be this. I've seen every other thing and let me just tell you. The Lord your God, He is good. And He's one. And if you're going to be about one thing, Israel, do this well. Because there are rivers coming There's a promised land ahead of you. There is more work to be done. Love God with all that you have. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus, I pray as the children come, even as I am praying. Jesus, I pray that we will fight as a church for the heart of our King. God, I pray for those of us who have settled into ritual that you would... Remove that from us today, and by your grace and through your mercy, draw us more deeply into your love. God, for those of us who love you with heart and soul, deepen us in that. I read your scripture, Lord. We can't can't find the heights or the depths of it. So take us, take us further. Draw us into a love relationship with you. Jesus, I pray that the heart of the matter will be the heart of this church. God, I pray that you will do wonders among us as you draw us into yourself. God, I know this. I know because I've watched and read your scripture that there is a drawing to ritual and religion. And Father, I pray that you will draw us to love and to passion. And so I end this prayer and we close this service with a simple sentence shared by Paul. For this reason, Lord, for the hope of the church, for the hope of Christ Jesus, for the hope of generations, for the chant of victory, for this reason, Lord, we kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. I cannot think of a better way to end the service than standing with our kids as they sing a victory chant over us as a closing song for the love of Jesus. Would you stand with us? Would you worship with one generation as they lead the next and the next and the next to more of Jesus?